I love our new bumpers. It looks like we know what we're, what we're doing, like we are got it together, but I can assure you we don't know what we're doing, at least <laughs> based on 845. It was a little rough. So I'm glad you're here at the second service. <laughs> That's all I could say. Um, no, I'm delighted that we are kicking off our Lenten series, An Extraordinary Life. Um, we'll be journeying through the book of Luke over the next several weeks, and Luke has some of the most beloved stories, and we're not going to be able to hit all of them because we have a short amount of time. But we'll be looking at the story of the temptation of Christ, which is today, um, Jesus' first sermon, um, some healings, some teachings, miracles, and then, of course, we will go into Holy Week kicking off with Palm Sunday. And so I hope you journey with us the next several weeks because I think it will be a wonderful series. So as I said, today we're starting with the temptation of Christ, but I thought it would be helpful to tell you what happens right before this. So in Luke chapter 3, we know that the Holy Spirit has descended upon him because he, he was baptized, and a voice comes from heaven that says, you are my son whom I love and am well pleased. And then there's listed this long genealogy of Christ with the heavy hitters like David, Boaz, who we just kind of learned about with our Ruth series, Jacob, Abraham. And so you would think after this incredibly holy moment, this, this sacred kind of anointing as he's been baptized, that it would send Christ immediately into some really big ministry act, whether it was a huge miracle or some great big teaching, like he has to be revved up. He has to be charged. He has to be pumped up. It was like he had the halftime pep talk in the locker room. He's ready to go out. The classic 90s jock jam song, Let's Get Ready to Rumble, plays from the heavens. But instead, what we find is that he goes to the wilderness, to be alone, to essentially sit and do nothing. It's not what we expect. But what happens in the wilderness is important. And so let's go ahead and read today's scripture, Luke 4, starting in chapter, uh, ch chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, he ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So after I, I read this, I feel like Jesus could have wrapped this up very quickly and just said, not today, Satan. I don't know if you're familiar with that kind of pop culture phrase. Uh, people say it a lot. In fact, you can get lots of things on Etsy with it. So I Googled it. Um, if you're looking for a new desk sign, there's not today, Satan. Maybe if you have a meeting with a boss you don't like, you can just put that out passive aggressively. Um, you can get these wonderful pencils that say not today, Satan, not today. They're labeled as a great stocking stuffer on Etsy. Um, there's this great t-shirt of Jesus schooling the devil at basketball. So that's a great gift as well. Also, if you like doing cross-stitch, maybe give this a, a whirl. Um, but, and then there's, of course, this badge you could put on. But my favorite, uh, these are labeled as planner stickers. So I'm just thinking, like, what if you forgot to put it on one day, and you're like, oh, Satan's going to get me this Tuesday. I forgot to put my sticker in my planner for today. But um, kind of a funny phrase, but there's a reason that Jesus just didn't uh, shut Satan down at that moment. There were some important things that needed to happen. And so today I thought I would kind of go through the whole scripture kind of piece by piece, things that I feel like God revealed to me, things that I had never noticed before, things that it ties back to the Old Testament. So we know that we start chapter four um, with Jesus being filled with the Spirit. Like I said before, he had just been baptized, and so he's, he's riding high on that. He's been kind of anointed. And we read that he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he wasn't tricked. He wasn't coerced by the devil to go there, but rather the Spirit felt it necessary for him to go into the wilderness for some sort of preparation. And maybe this is hard for us to understand because we think of Christ more as God rather than a human, but we know that Jesus was both fully human and fully God. Now, don't get me wrong, Christ was definitely wise and had a leg up on people, but this humanist factor pointed to Jesus needing to grow, to learn, to prep, to gain wisdom just like the rest of us. If he didn't, I think uh, if you know the story when Jesus um, gets lost and Mary and Joseph find him in the temple at the age of 12, if he had everything figured out, I think he would have just stayed there. But he went back home where he had to grow and mature like any other boy at his age. And so I look at this desert story as an act of making sure that Jesus was in fact ready and prepared for the ministry and work ahead. For 40 days, Jesus is tempted, and this, this number 40, we know, comes from, there's a lot of um, connection, especially to the Israelites wandering for 40 years, when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai for 40 days, and the people below start to do idol worshiping. And so Luke is establishing, look, Jesus has a connection. He has heritage of Israel. And to take it a, 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 another step, the first temptation has to do with bread. And as, if you recall, when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, they have manna that comes from heaven. Some of them don't follow God's instructions, so it ends up stinking, 
full of worms. Another thing I want to point out is that um, we know from the very beginning that Jesus was famished. She hadn't been eating. And I don't know about you, but when I am famished, I'm vulnerable. There's a reason you don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry, right? You make poor choices. <laughs> and so we've got Jesus extremely vulnerable at this moment. And the whole story of the incarnation is showing the willingness of God to come to us and be vulnerable. And maybe you don't like the idea of God being vulnerable because you equate that with weakness and you don't want a weak God, but I think it's vitally important for us to understand how much risk God put forth coming to us on account of how much God loves us and how much God wants to be in relationship with us. God was willing to put God's self into vulnerable situations for us. Don't think that Jesus had some super strength in this and somehow was exempt from hunger or exhaustion or temptation because he wasn't. And it doesn't make Jesus less of God, but I believe it brings his humanness kind of forth because sometimes I feel like we put his humanness on the back burner. Again, it doesn't mean that he is less God, but it shows that Jesus could both be strong and weak at the same time, just like us. The first temptation has a lot of layers when the devil says, you know, if you are testing Jesus to see if he will go out and prove in some extravagant way that he is a son of God. The devil is really trying to see, okay, Jesus, are you going to think only of yourself? Because that will teach, maybe it will teach others not to rely on God, to take things into their own hands, to not have that dependence or trust or faith in God. And I feel like through the whole thing, Jesus is, or the devil is poking at Jesus, like, are you just going to take care of yourself? Are you going to think about only your needs? But Jesus uh, is one that comes not to be served, but to serve, to take care of others, to save others. His needs, his desires, his wants always come last. In our own lives, how much are we tempted to immediately take care, care of ourselves first? How do we put others before us? And Jesus says, you know, it's not about physical needs when he says you don't live by bread alone, which is a callback to Deuteronomy. It's a way of Jesus saying, look, I didn't come just to meet physical needs. I came for much more than that. Also, on a, a side note, I mean, it's just to turn a stone into bread. I mean, Jesus clearly could have done a lot more. He could have had I don't know if you're Harry Potter fans, but a Hogwarts banquet, you know, in the snap of his fingers, I'm sure. So it's really not a challenge. Most of what the devil asks or tempts him is, to me, at times, quite laughable, which brings me to the second uh, temptation. So the devil leads him up to a mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and offers Jesus authority over it all. Like, hey, Jesus, I could, I could give you glory it's like the devil is a really bad car salesman because I feel like Jesus looks at everything and it probably took all of his power not to say something sarcastic like, 
You mean I can have authority over the things that I already have authority over? Wow, what a deal. You don't have to look much further after this story to see how much authority Christ has. Between commanding unclean spirits, forgiving sins, giving authority to his 12, it's clear that Jesus has authority. He does not need it from the devil. But I think there's some things going on here. Jesus is not going to take the easy way out. I think it's abundantly clear as we journey uh, later into this story. But Jesus came to do work. Many of us, including myself, may miss at times how much work Jesus did. And he was thoughtful and sometimes slow. He was led by the Spirit. But he did a lot. He journeyed from place to place. He sometimes would go off by himself. He gave himself time before he went to see Mary and Martha after Lazarus died. He didn't just stay in one town. Again, he didn't just wait for people to come to him. He traveled around. He went to people. He met with difficult people. He had difficult conversations. He did not avoid conflict, got mad, and flipped tables in a temple. And so for the devil just to say, here on this platter so neat and easy, take it. Jesus would say, that's not what I came here to do. For us, I think it's a good reminder that to serve Christ is to roll up our sleeves, work hard, and get involved. Most importantly, Jesus' power and authority is from God. His allegiance is to no one else. An overarching theme through this whole story is a call back to Deuteronomy 6.4, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. God, the Lord alone, you shall love the Lord with Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. To give that up, to worship anything other than God would be Jesus betraying not only God, but his entire Jewish heritage. Now the third temptation is a little bit different. Throughout this story, Jesus has not said much He's mainly just quoted scripture back. This time the devil presents the temptation quoting from Psalm 91, which we read, for he will command angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus knows not to test God. And this vignette can look at a um, foreshadowing of the scene of the Garden of Gethsemane when Christ is tempted strongly to ask God to take the cup from him. But ultimately, he asks that God's will be done and not his. I don't know about you, but the temptation to test God, to put God on the spot, to demand of God is all too familiar to us. There have been times that I've probably even kind of mocked God and said, man, if you are God, then do this. If you are God, then you will show up and... But through Jesus' ministry, death and resurrection, there's this beauty in his acceptance of all he has to do. It's a great model. See, what I think is so extraordinary about Jesus is how he often is not extraordinary. When I think about what Jesus could have done in this story, 
how he could have really showed off his skills and capabilities, his power, his holiness, but then he chooses not to. The whole taunting of, well, if you are, is laughable. Of course Jesus is God. Of course he is the Son of God. He knows his powers, his abilities, but he doesn't need to be forced to show what he can do. You see that at other times when his disciples want him to do something or to put someone in their place, Christ is steady and measured and not there to make a production of things. That's one thing I love about him most, that he kind of shows up in the world as this meek and mild and humble kind of guy. And everything has, he does, his focus is to be with God, to follow God, to listen to God, and to understand his role, no matter what is asked of him. Include being sent as a vulnerable baby, to growing up in a small town, to being poor, to living under oppression, um, to having to wait and grow and learn and mature before being set out into the world, to being tempted. An extraordinary life? Yes. But extraordinary for out times, it was extraordinarily normal. I pray over the next few weeks you will journey with us and be captivated by this extraordinary life and also how extraordinarily normal he sometimes went about things. It's going to be a wonderful several weeks, so I hope you come back. Because next week we will hear his first sermon, which if you know how that ends, not great. <laughs> it's every preacher's fear <laughs> when they preach a sermon. So you'll have to come back next week to see how it ends. Amen.